Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. So what? That's a loaded statement, isn't it? Have you ever had someone look at you and you, in a conversation, they looked right at you, right in the face, right in the eyes, they said, so what? You know, you could take that phrase in one of two ways. One way is, man, we're about to fight, right? So what, right? It's a, it's a moment of maybe intimidation, right? A moment of tension. But also, for some of you, you experienced your life where someone said, so what? It's a, it's, a, it's a phrase of curiosity. It's a phrase of desiring clarity. And it's an important phrase in our lives. So what? We come to God's Word. We're thankful for the many stories that we've known, many of us, since we were little kids. We're thankful for the Bible verses that encourage us through life. But no doubt, this life of the Christian life is not just about knowing stories or Bible studies. It's about a journey, an adventure of living out what Christ has for us. And it's a part of that journey are moments in our life where we have to say, so what? So what? Maybe today you find yourself in your season of life where you're looking at the opportunities in front of you. Or maybe the challenges that are before you and you're asking, so what? God, what do I do in light of what I am facing? Well, today we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 where Paul is going to take a significant turn in the tone of what he's saying to this church that he dearly loves by answering what the church was saying, so what? What do we do? I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And uh, we are, I think week 36 is where we find ourselves. Week 36 of week 37. That means we got one more week left through this journey we've had through the book of 1 Corinthians. And today as we get to chapter 16, if you've been with us especially the last couple of weeks, you are going to see a significant turn in the tone of which Paul is writing. Last couple of weeks, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, talking about the victory that we have in Christ Jesus and the hope for believers in Christ, that there is a bodily resurrection that is coming, that, that when we go into the ground, that we are there for a moment, but when Christ returns, when the trumpet sounds, Paul made it clear that we will rise with this same body, but in a glorified state to be with him forever. We saw the crescendo of it telling us that sin and death has been swallowed up in victory because of Christ. And then last week, as he put some application to that reality and, and, and called us to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And today in chapter 16, we see a turn, but it's a turn that I very much believe is connected to this understanding that Paul had for us as believers to abound in the Lord's work. But today we're going to see it's a call for the church to move from doctrinal truth that we've looked at in chapter 15 to practical living. How do we live out this victory? How do we give ourselves to the Lord's work? Well, there's a lot of ways we could answer that today. But today in the text we find ourselves, Paul is going to deal specifically with this first part with how we invest in the kingdom through giving. Now, I know for some of you are thinking, goodness gracious, Michael, I haven't been to church in five years. I show up and the preacher's talking about giving. Well, you're right. 
But I would say for the last 35 sermons we've had through this book, I've not talked about giving. But because we're going to talk about giving in 1 Corinthians 16, we're going to talk about giving today as we work through this book. I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Today we're going to be looking at verse 1 down through verse 12. Paul says, now about the collection for the saints. Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and to save in keeping with how he is prospering, so that no collection will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I'll be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps will remain with you, even spend the winter, so that you may send me wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, since I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door of effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you, because he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. So let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me because I am expecting him with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos. I strongly urge him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has opportunity. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, we're relying on you today. That this would be more than just learning of a new passage of scripture. This would be more than just an allotted time of reading your word, but that today, God, it would be about the work of the Spirit of God in our hearts. That we would be able to flesh out in some specific ways of what it means for us to abound in the Lord's work. God, we give you this time. We pray you'd clear distractions from this room. Allow us to focus wholeheartedly, God, not just on what this is saying, but God, on what it is saying for us today. And so, God, we give you this time. And God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Today we see this transition from doctrinal truth to practical living and what it looks like in really two areas of doing the Lord's work. Today as we look at this text, I think we're going to see that the church should serve well for the sake of the gospel. The church should serve well for the sake of the gospel. Most commentators break this section into two, uh, between verse 1 through 4 and then 5 through 12. And so we'll take it in that way with two points today. The first one in verse 1 through 4 is for us to see and grasp the reach of the local church. The reach of the local church. You see there in verse 1, Paul begins with, now about. This is the seventh time in the book of 1 Corinthians that he has used this phrase, now about. These have come after chapter 7, which again, if you've been in this journey with us, you know. Then chapter 7, he made a turn there. He went from just talking about things he had heard about happening in Corinth to now responding to a letter that the Corinthians had sent to him with questions about what this practical living as the New Testament church looked like. And one of the questions... Uh, we, we discern here was one about this collection of the saints. Now, I know what you, some of you are thinking, right? He's saying now about the collection of the saints. What does that mean by saints? Some of you are thinking, well, gosh, man, even back then the saints didn't have a quarterback and they were having to raise money, right? <laughs> well, no, that's not what he's talking about. He's referring here to the saints. And in, in, in our culture, oftentimes when we talk about someone being a saint, we're speaking of someone of high moral character, 
Someone of great integrity. But in the New Testament, the understanding of the word saint is for all those that are believers in Jesus Christ. That have surrendered their life to him. That have repented of their sin and turned towards Jesus to be their Lord. The understanding there is that our sainthood before him and before others is not based on our performance. It is based on who we are in Christ Jesus. That because of his shed blood, that for those that are in Christ, we now stand before him as righteous. Because when he sees us, he sees the blood of his son that was shed for us. And so if you're a believer in Christ today, regardless of what this last week has looked for you, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a saint. Some of y'all didn't sound real convinced. (laughs) I'm just telling you what the word says. But it says here, now about the collection of the saints. Who are these saints that he is speaking of here? Well, we can see the context of other letters that he would write. These saints are referring to specifically the church in Jerusalem. Again, there's other letters that he's going to speak to this collection that Paul was taking. But he was asking these different churches that we see here in verse 1. He says, I'm asking you in this collection for the saints to do the same thing that I've asked the church at Galatia to do. Or the churches in Galatia to do. Galatia was a region. It was a province. And so there were multiple churches in Galatia that he was asking them uh, to, uh, to do the same collection. In this region where Corinth was the capital, he was asking them. In Macedonia, he was asking them to take this collection for the Jerusalem church. Why? Well, the Jerusalem church was in a state of need. Commentators debate whether uh, what the issue was of why they were in need. Some believe, in fact, we see in Acts chapter 11, the church in Antioch, as they're meeting, there's a prophet named Agabus. Isn't that a great name? Agabus stands up and Agabus prophesies that there is a worldwide famine that is coming. And so it could be that this famine has hit Jerusalem and they're in need. It could be that because you have these Christians that are living in a Jewish city, that more than likely were raised by Jewish parents, married to a Jewish spouse with Jewish friends and a Jewish employer, that because of their now faith in Christ that they have been disassociated from, they're struggling in life, struggling to find employment, right? Whatever the reason is, but there is a need. Some believe that we see in Acts chapter 2 and 4 that it says that they sold what they had and they had all things in common. They were caring for one another and it could be that over time uh, they had become uh, unable to do that. We don't know the specific reason, but we see here Paul's desire for the reach of the local church to not just impact Corinth impacting Corinth, but Corinth having really a regional at that time, a worldwide impact. A worldwide impact. In many ways, as we look at these first two verses, it covers for us a who, what, when, where, why, how. Now, we're not going to hit all of those today, but as we consider the who today, we understand that it is the church of Corinth that is going to be invited into this opportunity to invest in the people in Jerusalem, right? The what is this collection, this collection that they are going to take as a church, this monetary collection for the benefit of those in need. And verse 2 allows us to center in today on the how. How is it to be done? And today I want us to walk through this verse kind of systematically because I think it's helpful for us today to consider when we think about what does it mean for us to be people of God who are generous givers? I think this verse gives us some help in how to do that. I think it's also an encouragement for us today 
that maybe for some of you here, when you think about the church, there is a tension there. There is a hurt that you've experienced. And maybe for you, there's a, there's a hill to, that you struggle to get over about, can I trust the church? And it seems like the church is always talking about money and all they want is my money. But I want you to understand that this is the first century church. This is just a couple of decades after Jesus has risen from the dead. And the practice of the church is to give sacrificially. It is to give generously for the work of ministry. And so what we do every week, as a part of worship. At the end of our service, we'll do it today, where we invite you to give, when we invite you to invest in the kingdom. We are doing what has been done for thousands of years in the church. You're joining in with what the church of Corinth was doing. So let's look at the how of what he was calling them to do to take this collection. Look at me in verse 2. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside, is to set something aside and to save in keeping with how he is prospering So that no collection will need to be made when I come. First thing I want you to note there is he calls them to give on the first day of the week. We see from beginning in Acts chapter 20 that the local church, they began to meet on the first day of the week. That was on Sunday, which is the day obviously in which we continue to meet. Uh, Most likely that's because that is the day of our victory in which Christ walked out of the grave was on the first day of the week. And so on that first day, this was the regular rhythm in their life. That would be the first thing I tell you when it comes to who we're called to be in living out the Lord's work. One of the ways we do it is in giving, and it is to be something that is a regular rhythm in our life. I don't know what that rhythm is for you. Maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's once a week. Paul was calling them here to once a week. There was to be a rhythm in their life of generosity, all right? So regularly, it's to be done regularly. The second one is this. It's to be done, if you're taking notes, write it down, universally. To be done universally. Look at what he says here. It was the rhythm was to be on the first day of the week. But look at the next phrase he uses here. Each of you. Each of you. Notice that Paul doesn't say to the wealthy. Doesn't say to the deacons. He doesn't say to the staff. He doesn't say to the longtime members. He's saying to the church. Those that are a part of this congregation, that each of you have a place to be giving. Why is it important? Why is it important for us to exhibit regular generosity in our life through the local church? It's because we understand it's a part of worship. It's a part of obedience to Christ. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church, He said, in the Christian walk, there are three conversions that are necessary. The conversion of the mind, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the purse. And here was his thinking, is the conversion of the mind, of an understanding that, yes, Jesus is Lord. And that he did come to die in my stead. He came to die for my sin, to suffer the punishment that I deserve. Not just that he died, but that he was buried and he rose again. There's a conversion of the mind, but there's a conversion of the heart. A heart in which the truth of the mind begins to alter the way in which I live my life. That understanding the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is not just a set of facts to affirm, but it is a gospel story that impacts every facet of my life. There's a conversion of the heart. But then he said a conversion of the purse. Conversion of my finances. A conversion of my checkbook. Students, y'all don't know what that is, but it used to be a thing, all right? A conversion of my checkbook. Why? You've heard it said before, because nothing gives more evidence about your life than your checkbook and your calendar, right? And so what Martin Luther was saying is this, is that for each one of us, 
There's a conversion in our life that says, I'm not just going to affirm the facts about Jesus' resurrection. I'm going to bend my life in obedience of giving my life to follow him. And as a part of that, it's going to show up in every facet, including my finances. When I say that Jesus is Lord, when I believe that, that I am here for a season, but I will be with him forever in eternity, when I hear Jesus say that when I invest in his kingdom, I am storing up treasure in heaven, right? There's a conversion in my checkbook because now I want to be not just a generous giver because I need to check a box of obligation to give, but because I know that when I give, I'm investing in something that far outreaches me. We give universally. We also give systematically. Notice he says here that each one of you is to set something aside and save. You're to set something aside and save. This is systematically. Another word we could use here is intentionally. We do it intentionally. Some of you, many of you in here are familiar with the song By Dirt by Jordan Davis and Luke Bryan. It's a great song, but I can tell you there's a line of that song I can't stand. Some of you are like, I can't stand any of Luke Bryan's songs. All right, that's another conversation. All right. I didn't hear any amens. I'm shocked. All right, but... uh, but in that song, By Dirt, he's just talking about the way we live our life. And some of you know where I'm going with this. He, they, they make a comment in the chorus. It says, and throw a little money in the plate at church. You remember that line? That drives me crazy. You're thinking, of course, Michael, you're a preacher. It's not that. But that line reinforces an unhealthy mindset for Christ followers. That to give means to tip the Lord when I happen to have some cash in my pocket. That God is sufficiently okay with us just kind of giving when we can. Or if the song right before the preaching was good, then we'll throw a little bit in. I just want to tell you today, if, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and that is the rhythm of what it means for you to be a kingdom investor, man, you have an incredible opportunity to grow. You have an incredible opportunity To see spiritual growth in your life in which there is a conversion of your heart and a conversion of your checkbook that says, listen, I'm going to be intentional in my giving. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to consider that, you know, everything that I have, God has entrusted to me. The gifts that I have, the skills that I have, the job that I keep, all of those things are a grace gift from God. In response and gratitude to him. And as a, as a regular rhythm of intentionality that, that reminds me that, you know what, God, I'm giving back to you because I know I can trust you. And to know that I'm investing in something that matters for all of eternity. There's intentionality in the local churches we give. But also proportionally. Proportionally. Notice what he says here. He says that each of us are to give, to set aside and to save it, intentionality, in keeping with how he is prospering. Now, in the culture in which this was written was a very different culture when it came to how you would obtain wealth. And that day, it was often through these business trips that you might take. And your funding for next week would come on how the trip went this week. So you might have a good week, you might have a bad week. But the word there and how you're prospering is basically a successful trip. If you have a successful trip, when you come back and you're setting aside and you're saving up, it needs to be proportional with how God has blessed you. Now, oftentimes in the church, we think and use the word tithe, right? I've said this with you before, but it's another good reminder for us to consider that that the idea of a tithe, which means a tenth, is an Old Testament idea. 
We see that the Jewish people and the covenant they had with God, there was an understanding, an obligation that a tenth of what they had, the first fruits of what they had, they would come and present it to God. But understand in the New Testament, we don't see a picture of that. At one time, does Paul tell the church to be faithful with their tenth? Why? Because that was an Old Testament understanding. And so you say, well, Michael, what does it look like? I've given a tenth my entire life. And listen, I'm not saying you're in trouble today. But as I've said before, and it's not original to me, that if, if God's people were called to give a tenth under the law, now that we stand on grace, I think 10% is a bare minimum. Right? We should be people who overflow with generosity and understand the impact that our investment can make into people's lives. And in that investment, that, that generosity overflows to where we say, I'm going to be intentional in the front end, but God, I want to leverage as much as I can possibly to be storing up treasure in heaven. I want to be investing as much as I can possibly, knowing that it is impacting people in our community and all the way around the globe. So we give proportionally. We give generously. We give at some element sacrificially. I mean, I, I would even say to you, I would challenge you today that, and you're giving and you're investing to the church, that if there's not a little bit of sting to your giving, I would encourage you, you could probably give more. Hear me, I'm not saying to give everything you got to the church, to give to the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. But listen, there's an element of sacrifice. There is an element of trust. There's an element of generosity. The last one here is freely. Notice what Paul says and how they're to do it. At the very end, he wants them to do this so that no collection will need to be made when I come. Could be that Paul doesn't want to deal with it. It could be that Paul, in understanding that some of them have a negative view towards Paul, he doesn't want to give any opportunity uh, for people to say, uh, you know, that he has bad motives. But the idea here is to give freely. Paul doesn't want them to give out of obligation. We see that in the scripture. In fact, Paul's going to come back in 2 Corinthians. We're not covering that book in two weeks, don't worry, all right? But he's going to come back in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. He's telling them how to give and how to live generously. He tells them there to give cheerfully. To give freely. Don't give under obligation. Right? You'll notice I don't stand at the blue buckets when you leave to, to give, right? I don't want you to give out of obligation. I don't want you to give out of manipulation. I want you to give freely because of what Christ has done for you. I want you to give freely because you know that you're storing up treasure in heaven. I want you to give freely because it excites your heart to know that, you know what? God is using me to make a difference all around the globe. I want us to give freely because it shows that we grasp the gospel. Say, Michael, what do you mean by that? How does me being regular and intentional and sacrificial in my giving, how does that reveal I understand the gospel? Well, in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we see that, again, Paul addressing it here in verse 9. He says, don't you realize that Jesus, he who was rich, became poor so that in his poverty you might become rich. As Paul is discussing with them about kingdom investment and as a generous liver, a generous giver, right? He's saying that the example for us in expressing generosity as God's people is God's son. And that Christ has given everything for us. That he who was rich, who had all things, as Philippians 2 tells us, that he humbled himself. He lowered himself, taking the form of a human. Being obedient even to the cross. I hope that we would be a church that is full of generous givers that give cheerfully and give freely because we grasp the gospel and what Christ has done for us and we count it a joy that we get to partner in that gospel going to the nations.
In verse 3 and 4, we see here the how, not just of the collection, but how they're going to distribute it. He says, when I arrive, I'll send with letters those who you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it's suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. Here's what Paul's saying. Listen, with this money, we're going to have accountability and integrity in how we handle it. We're not just going to put it in the hands of one person and send them to Jerusalem. It's going to happen with accountability. That's a passion for us as a church here. We've told you before, we do an outside audit every year. For the last 20-something years, it has come back uh, 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 unqualified, unmodified, I forgot the word for, the, for this season, but, but with no marks of saying we are spending our money where we say we spend our money. Why? Because we want that accountability. This is the Lord's money. We want to handle it in a way that brings him honor and is done with character. And so we see here in these verses, he's calling them to make this collection. He's telling them how he wants it to happen. And what I don't want you to miss is the reach that is happening from Corinth to the ends of the earth. And Corinth, which is made up of many individuals, they're impacting Jerusalem. As he says here, to the Galatian churches, which is made up of many individuals, they're impacting the nations. It happens in Macedonia, and in fact, it's happening today in 2023 from right here in Washtenaw Parish. Did you realize that just as these churches were impacting Jerusalem today, when you give faithfully and invest in the kingdom, you're impacting Jerusalem? You see, as a Southern Baptist church, we network with other churches. As a part of that is our international mission board where we have thousands of missionaries that live overseas. And when you give faithfully here, you're helping to support those missionaries, some that are living and investing their life in Jerusalem right now as a part of the Jerusalem church. You're doing that. The reach of the local church, whether it's to Jerusalem, even to Turkey and Syria. You're aware of the earthquake that has happened there. I think at this point it's over 43,000 people have lost their life. Think about that for a moment. That's a third of our parish gone. And when that happened, there were Southern Baptists who showed up in that community with not just tangible needs to help people, but an ear to listen and hope to share in a gospel that God is near to the brokenhearted. And because you give, we invest in what's called send relief that is there right now on the ground making that happen. When you think about helping churches, right, right now there are four churches that we are helping. Church plants, churches, new churches that are getting off the ground in strategic places in New Orleans, right here in our own community and in Loveland, Colorado, that we're helping to get off the ground. When you give, we're doing exactly what they were doing here to help sister churches. Some of y'all remember, there's been times where we've had a church, a sister church that experienced a, a fire, and we showed up that week with a check that said, hey, this isn't going to cover all of it, but we just want to give generously to a sister church, know it's a time of need because we care about you and we want to see you continue to do great gospel work. That's who we are as a church. And we're able to do that because we give generously and sacrificially. We recognize that we're doing that to the ends of the earth. We recognize we're doing that in our state. It's happening right here in our community, meeting needs in our community, whether that's a single mom or a family that's gone on hard times, the ability to step in and to invest. You think about the life change that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. I believe at this point we're up to around 75 baptisms over the last three weeks. I want you to think about that for a moment. Yeah, think about that. Last year, Last year, we baptized in total, I think, 105 people. And over the last three weeks, we've seen almost 75 people follow through in obedience and baptism and more to come. God is at work in our church. And part of the reason that that's able to happen is because all of us, each one of us, are given intentionally. We're given generously. But it also comes down to practical needs. Just the last couple of weeks, 
had a significant leak in our children's area where life group space is at. And we've had to evacuate those rooms. And so we're writing a check for over $100,000 to repair a roof. How many of you in here, I won't make you show your hands, but how many of you in here, your utilities have gone up at home? Guess what? They've gone up at the church as well. Right? There's needs that we have. Some of them are practical. we got to get a roof over that because we care about the next generation. We want to see these kids come to faith in Christ and be discipled in their faith. we got to have a roof over their head. we got to be able to pay the bills. we got to care for that single mom. We've got to invest in our state. We've got to be a part of taking the gospel to the nations. And when you give, you are a part of that. And I'll tell you, I'm grateful that in December, as we wrapped up 2022, we had a great December as we wrapped up the year in our giving. But I want to be very transparent with you. The two months leading into that, and even this last month in January, our giving was not great. It wasn't great. And I don't say that today to make you feel bad or to make you feel guilty. I say that just to make you aware. Listen, I want to say this as clear as I can. I'm going to look in the camera. I don't always do real good looking in the camera. But God is at work in our church. Do you hear me? God is at work in our church. Do you hear me? We see so many people coming to faith in Christ and following through in baptism. There's a unity and an excitement in our church that I have not sensed since I have been your pastor. We're seeing growth in so many different areas of our church. There are great things that are happening. Could it be that it's, we're all feeling the economy, right? We're feeling the inflation, right? We feel that. We understand that. But let me hear you. Let me, let me Let you hear my heart today. Let's keep trusting the Lord in our giving. Let's keep trusting him. Let's continue to give cheerfully. Let's continue to know that when you're giving, it makes a difference. The people in our community to the ends of the earth, they feel it. They receive it. And we are storing up treasure in heaven when our church is generously and sacrificially investing into his kingdom. Let's go to point number two. I recognize the time. That was the long point, all right? Let me give you, for some of you, this is going to be quick, but you're about to be nailed to your seat by the Holy Spirit because he had you here for this today. In verse 5, Paul makes a shift again to talk about his travel plans. And here's what I want you to see, is to understand our reality that is formed through the gospel. How For Paul, the impact the gospel had on him, it shapes him in two ways here, people and plans. The first one is people. I just want to recognize, just hit this real quick, that his relationship with the church at Corinth, right, he calls them over and again, his brothers and sisters, his beloved brethren, right? His relationship here with Timothy, a young guy that he's investing his life into, never would have happened without the gospel. His relationship with Apollos, a brother in Christ, who refers to him here in verse 12 as our brother Apollos. He's locked arms side by side, being about the work of the ministry. That's what the gospel does. It brings healthy relationships into our life. It happened for Paul. It happens for us in biblical community. But the remaining time, I just want us to focus real quick, not just about the relationships that are formed, but about submitting to God's will and our plans. Some of you right now, you sit in front of you with a significant decision in front of you. Maybe it's job-related. Maybe it's family-related. I don't know what it is, but for Paul, as he's thinking about us abounding in the Lord's work, he's dealt with this issue in giving and how to handle that giving issue. 
But now Paul's going to talk about the Lord's work in his life and in these other guys' life and what we find for them and what it means for them to abound in the Lord's work. It means to submit to the Lord's will. And we see that in several ways here. The first one is he says here, hey, I'm going to come to you after I go to Macedonia. So he's in Ephesus. He's basically saying, I'm going to do like an upside down letter U. I'm going to go up over the Aegean Sea to Macedonia and then I'm going to come down to Corinth. That's my plan. But I want you to notice that as he makes these plans, he does it with the understanding that the Lord is in control. Look with me in verse 6. He says, and perhaps I will remain with you or spend the winter. There's not certainty there. Why is that certainty not there? Look at verse 7. I don't want to see you now just in passing since I hope to spend some time with you. Listen, if the Lord allows. What do we see? Paul has plans, doesn't he? Right? Some people in their faith, they just want to wake up and say, I just give this whole day to the Lord, whatever he wants. Listen, if teenagers, man, that sounds super spiritual, but let me just be a voice of reason from your parents. You're going to get a job, okay? <laughs> right? you, we make plans. It's not an issue of not making plans. Paul makes plans here. He has this understanding of this is what God has for him. But, but in those plans, it is yielded to what God would have. And some of you today, as you sit on the precipice of a major decision in your life that you have to make, maybe it's about retirement, job change, family ready, whatever, I want you to see that for the Apostle Paul, submitting to the Lord's will in two ways. One, what is the Spirit of God telling me to do? If you've got a major decision in your life, the temptation is to lean towards self-reliance. Self-reliance is not just leaning on your own understanding, it's living your own understanding. And that's a, that's a scary place to be. And so there's a submitting to the Spirit of God, but also considering what is going to be most effective for the gospel. And some of you might say, boy, that sounds right for a pastor. But listen, that's for every single one of us. As Wood said, every member of God's church is a minister in God's church. And we see that for Paul here. He's saying, listen, if the Lord allows, but we see the gospel effectiveness in verse 8 and 9. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. As you consider with the decision in front of you, maybe you don't have it today, maybe it's coming six, down, six months down the road. I pray that we would take the example of the Apostle Paul. When those decisions come, do I turn it to the Lord and say, God, I am trusting where you are leading. I am trusting in the Lord with all of my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own under, understanding, but I'm going to trust that in all your ways. You're going to direct my steps. You're going to direct my paths. And so I'm going to submit it to the Lord. And at the same time, as I consider what decision I'm going to make, I'm going to run it through the filter. In what situation can I be most effective for the gospel? And I would argue that most often, the way that you answer that question is the way that the Spirit of God is going to lead you to go. And so... For Paul, it was submitting to the Lord's work. And understand that that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, is it? Paul says, listen, I'm suffering here. I'm facing opposition where I'm at. But he was trusting himself to the Lord. So what? So what? That's a question that you've got to answer. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you bow your head with me today?
What's the Spirit of God saying to you today? Some of you today, you recognize that there's never been that moment in your life that you've trusted in Christ. Today, as you watch these four be baptized, outwardly displaying the inward decision that they've made to trust Christ, you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit of saying there's never been that moment you've turned from your sin and turned towards him in faith. And right now in this moment, on a Sunday that we're talking about giving of all things, you know that today's your day that you need to trust Christ. Or maybe today is your desire to grow in your walk with the Lord. That God just used this moment today to remind you of an area in your life of doing the Lord's work and investing in his kingdom through sacrificial generosity. Day, you recognize that in this area of your life you've looked a lot more like throwing some money in the plate at church more than being cheerful and obedient and intentional sacrificial and today maybe you just hear the Lord calling you for more not even necessarily more money but more trust do you trust him Maybe today it's just that reminder. The plans we have in front of us when it comes to doing the Lord's work, regardless of your vocation, we submit to his will and we submit to gospel effectiveness. That be the journey of our lives. God, today as we come to you, we come by faith, we come grateful that your word gives us not just doctrinal truths to be believed but insights into practical living of how to live out that doctrinal truth Lord today we recognize that you have numbered our days we have one shot to live Lord I pray for those that are in Christ that call you our Lord And that we would be generous givers in such a way that at the end of our journey, we would look back and know that we didn't leave anything on the table. We invested what you had entrusted to us into your kingdom, storing up treasure in heaven. So God, we submit our lives to you today. We submit every facet of our lives. Help us to walk in obedience. Help us to walk in trust. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.